the Pinball Network is online. Launching Final Round Pinball Podcast. Player versus player and player versus machine. Welcome to the final round. Hello once again, my name is Jeff Teolis. And I'm Martin Robbins. Welcome to the final round pinball podcast. Ah, oh, you've done it. You've sifted through this shit for two weeks, waiting for a good show on the TPN, and finally we're back here for episode 11. What do you mean, waiting for a good show? Did you not hear Puppet Pals? Like, the best. Pretty interesting, that Moppy. Uh, my favourite thing about it, my God, can they sing. They can really sing. Like, I just want to hear a show tunes by, you know what I mean? Hamilton's coming out on Disney Plus this month. I want to see Puppet Pals take a crack at yeah, Alexander Hamilton. I want a f- full theatre production from the Puppet Pals. So, I won't rest until I get it. I did like the mailman character. I thought that was pretty funny when he came in. But uh, mm-hmm. Moppy, very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's very there. impressive. Well I'm done. kidding. TPN has all kinds of great shows too. I'm just uh, being a little cocky. It's not in my nature to do so, as you've known from the years <laughs> of listening to me. It's just once in a while I try to be funny. But uh, mm. no, the truth is uh, I, I'm really impressed. You know, it's come a long way in, what, five months now of TPN? Yeah. The yep. shows, yep. the qualities, the personalities, people we've never heard before so uh kudos to everyone on this network i joke when i say you know you've been waiting two weeks you probably haven't missed us let's be frank (laughs) let's be be really honest but yes i agree with you lots of great varied content well done it's good to be a part of it big show coming up today episode 11 and 11 is a key number because in 2011 this person won the world championship andre masenkoff will be joining us later on in the program so marty how's it been the last couple of weeks for you Ah, look, it's really no difference probably to, to the previous weeks. Uh, thought I had my Lord of the Rings up and running. It's still broken again. What's wrong with it? It's just, uh, it's beyond me. It, it's like there's a ghost in the machine. It looks like it's working fine. Then all of a sudden it will spit two balls out or it will start a two ball multi-ball when it's not meant to. So, it, it, I don't know. It's just a crazy machine. I am beyond repairing it now so i just don't know what to do it's now just sitting there gathering dust you know what all i'm hearing is you throwing up your hands and not doing a fucking thing about it marty have you gone on a forum have you asked for help or are you waiting for someone to come over and fix it and i know the answer i've had two people come over and fix it and it works and it's fine and then you know 30 minutes later it starts doing all that crap again so i don't know i mean it was it was a machine that was on it wasn't in a public location, it was sited at a company uh, in their offices for, I think, about seven, eight years. So I think it's just had a lot of plays. It really needs somebody to just give it a major overhaul. You know what it is? It's the game itself has heard you talk about the magic of opening a box and having your DNA on it at first. And because you've now just sullied it by saying, oh, it was on location somewhere, it was in somebody's office and it had a lot of plays on it, you make it sound like a whore. <laughs> I think that's probably (laughs) taking it a bit too far. Uh, But I tell you what, put me down right now, number one on the list for Lord of the Rings Vault. I would love (laughs) a Vault. 
to get a fault. I would because I just, you know me, I'm not very good at repairing machines and I would just like something that works constantly and a vault would answer that. I agree. But do you think these games are going to be vaulted? Like, I was surprised when mm. Spider-Man Vault came out. Not because it's not a fantastic game. It's just because the technology was different back then. And they vaulted it with, obviously, the DMD versus the commonly used LCD screens. So are they going to want to vault things that were DMD only? Or are they going to upgrade them? And if they upgrade them, that's a lot of animations and programming and all this and that. So isn't DMD kind of going back a little bit? Well, okay. So here's an interesting question. So let's go back okay let's go back the other way because we saw effectively i I know we it's it's a loose parallel here but let's just say we saw sea witch kind of get a vault edition by it becoming beatles yes i would love i was having this conversation the other day i would love for the solid state era to get vaulted this this is where it came about when we're talking about i was over at eric's and we were playing centaur Imagine if Centaur got a vault, like they actually just, let's just say a remake like CGC are doing. That era becoming new. I would I would pay good money for that. But then people would bitch, oh, it's single level and all that kind of stuff. I think people would bitch if it had a current street market price on it, but... It's going to. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't... I mean, no one's even talking about it, but I sort of said if, if they came out with a Centaur remake right now, I would pay, I would say $10,000 Australian for that, which would be, I don't know, let's say six grand US. That's pretty reasonable for that game, which is such a great game. But to have all new circuits and maybe some new lighting, just something to freshen it up, I'd totally go that. I love Centaur. They are talking about, or at least the rumor has been for a long time, a Quicksilver. That's what I've heard. A vault of some sort or a redo like Sea Witch became the Beatles. I'm in on that. But again, I wonder what kind of manpower is involved in that. And you think of who Stern has in their lineup as far as designers. So Gomez did the Sea Witch one, Mm -hmm. turning it into Beatles. Is he the only guy who could do that to another game? Like, Elwin's not going to do it. Brian Eddy's not going to do it. Although some would say he did with (laughs) Stranger Things. (laughs) Stop it. I'm kidding. But let's just say it's not Stern. Let's say it's CGC that starts remaking these older games and tries to replicate the original experience. You're talking older than Monster Bash, Attack from Mars. Yep, yep. Medieval Madness. Going back to Solid State. The rumored Cactus Canyon. Yep, yep. Go back further. Would you be interested going back further into the catalogue of pinball, let's say early 80s for those kinds of machines? I personally would. Certain games, yes. I do love Quicksilver. I would love for that one. I do like Centaur. I would be interested in that. Stargazer in a heartbeat. But I don't know. Again, the dollars are going to be up there. And it depends because some of these older games, they're made a lot of. So you can get them. And there are people... I know it's hard to believe, Marty, but there are people that are more technically inclined than you and I that have done these upgrades, that have put in new play fields, new wiring, LED lights, the works, new back glasses even. So I've seen some of these machines and they are absolutely pristine and might be cheaper than buying it new in box as a vault. Yeah, I get that. But for people like me that 
uh, have got a lot of nostalgia around that. That late 70s, early 80s was when I really got into pinball and I'm not technically minded. So I would rather buy one off the shelf. Okay. Just putting it out there. Just it, it came up in, in conversation over the last couple of weeks, and I thought, well, if you're talking about vaults, why not go back a bit? Anything else happened in the last couple of weeks, Marty? Nope, that's it, really. Waiting for you to ask me how my week was. Once again, you don't give a shit. That's fine. My week was pretty uneventful. Yeah, yeah. that's all yeah. we really need to talk about. All right, Jeff, how was your fortnight? Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, Marty, I... I, I care about other people, so that's why I ask you how your week was or your weeks were. And and I have another question for you. I was curious. Marty, have you ever had a sperm attack? <laughs> that's actually that's actually split my sides. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think we both know the answer to that. Because Carl D'Angelo's trying to have one. I know. I did see that. <laughs> oh, my God. Please explain quickly before people turn this podcast off and, and say that we're no, filthy. No, that's, we're talking uh, no, about... No, no explanation. That's fine. That's good. Next. <laughs> we are talking about Family Guy pinball machine, guys. All right? Go, oh. Jeff. I forgot about that. Yes, uh, that is the wizard mode, sperm attack. In Family Guy, and once again, Carl D'Angelo is trying to tackle these wizard modes. My goodness, has he not learned his lesson? I mean, mm. I can't believe he did The Simpsons pinball party in one day. Mm, Shocking. Okay. Yep. Took him months for Big Buck Hunter. Yep, I think 14 sessions, yep. Didn't he do Wizard of Oz as well? Um, Maybe, I missed that one. He's done a bunch. I know Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean he was doing a lot on, but that doesn't have a wizard mode. Although that's coming, as you may or may not have heard on what I did in the last couple of weeks where I interviewed Keith Johnson of Jersey Jack and he talked about that would be coming. But here he is trying to do Family Guy. And I never realized how hard that was to do. You know, he, he listed all the six things you have to do to get to sperm attack. It's bloody hard. Yeah, the first thing, which is probably the hardest, and I'm stealing a joke from a mutual friend of ours, the hardest thing about getting to wizard mode on Family Guy is pushing the start button. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the hardest thing that Carl suggested, perhaps, was the Stewie pinball, actually, because that multi-ball, you've got balls on the main play field and then up top. And it's not like monsters where you have different flippers to cradle up or control. It's it's very, very difficult to do. And those shots are extremely difficult. The Peter shot, very tough to do. So it's interesting. I watched the first stream of him doing it. He had some upper play field issues. So he's going to be doing it again this Sunday, he told me. But you're actually going to hear him, Marty, because he is going to be one of the contestants next week, even though he recorded this Friday. <laughs> For the final round, Pinberg Challenge. Carl D'Angelo was one of the 32 randomly, or not, selected players <laughs> who's going to be joining us. So that'll be good. Will Carl get his name on the final round Pinberg banner? That's the goal. And who will it be? We don't know. There's a lot of people that have signed up on our Facebook page. Appreciate that. Filled out the event thing. If you're listening right now, it'll be done this afternoon. Uh, we'll be sending out all our final invites. So hopefully you're listening to this podcast in the morning and you're like, oh shit, I want to join. Yeah. Do it quick. Get on board, guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of planning uh, that 
currently underway to get it ready and it should be lots of fun. So get on board. A couple of spots left to go. Well, Carl wasn't the only one streaming. I know you caught the Hot Wheels streams and yes. I got to tell you, it looks pretty impressive. I actually, you and I know this. I have always felt Joe Balser makes some incredible, incredible games. As he goes on in his career, I'm fascinated. I love The Simpsons. You and I both love Wizard of Oz. And I like the layouts of Oktoberfest. I mm, I know yeah. the one shot's tight in Houdini. I like Houdini. I've always liked it. I definitely like what I see in Hot Wheels. So, do you know what's really interesting? Okay, here we go. I'll be completely honest. When I saw the photos of Hot Wheels, I looked at it and went, mm, okay, it, yeah, it looks all right. It doesn't get me excited. It was just, yeah, okay, it, it kind of, it's got all the elements there that, that make up a pinball. That's great. Well done, but I'm not excited. When I saw the stream of the game in play, and there were a number of different sources that you could see gameplay, well done to everybody, it looks a lot of fun and and i'll tell you why i think it's a lot of fun and i hope they don't mind me saying this because it's a kind of a bit of a backhand compliment but it's meant to be a compliment here's what i found about first of all with houdini i really liked the way houdini shot and i really liked the rule set for houdini but i didn't necessarily find it cohesive between the two things uh oktoberfest got closer and I really enjoyed the rule set and the, the layout. Still not quite right. This one, this one looks like they've absolutely nailed the integration of the playfield and the rules. And for some reason, watching it got me really excited. And that's what I'm really happy about with American Pinball, getting me excited about this pinball. I'm in. I'm dying to play it too. And it's unfortunately with the COVID-19, you know, uh, we're not going to get to see it for a while. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I do know somebody who's got it on order. So uh, that I'm looking forward to. And again, congratulations to Joe Balser, to Joe Schober, who you might hear next week, Josh Kugler and the entire team there at American Pinball, because pretty good looking title. Again, very well built machines. We're hearing that about people who own American pinball machines. So, you know, Stern certainly gets the hype. They're the leader. There's no question about it. But it's got to be tough for people like American pinball, spooky to some extent, but not as much because they have a business model of these many machines and, you know, they sell them out. They don't lose money. They've got it made. But, you know, you've got Jersey Jack. They've got a new headquarters. You've got other companies too. We've got Haggis uh, with their first game and a second game coming. All these other companies, Deep Roots got games coming. Sorry, I forgot Chicago Gaming. Stern gets the hype, but if you have to look at the other companies, they're making pretty amazing pinball machines. And I don't know if they get the credit. Another example, how freaking great does Heist look from P3 yeah. Multimorphic. I love the look of that. I loved Lexi Lightspeed. I enjoy playing that all the time. Same. I really like the Multimorphic platform. I've, I've streamed it a couple of times. I, I've played it. It's it's a lot of fun. And you're right. There, there are a lot of manufacturers now producing good product. The hard thing, of I guess, of, of it really is we don't really know how the market is expanding, whether it is and whether these other manufacturers are now cutting into Stern's share of the market or whether it is expanding and there's just enough to go around. I, I certainly hope that these other manufacturers have found their market, they're selling enough units to, to stay afloat and to keep producing more machines. That's, that's all I want to see. And going back to American Pinball, I'm now, I'm now seeing 
the journey that they've been on from Houdini, which, if you got to remember, was a, a six-month production cycle from it being designed to being a production. It was really, really quite a, a quick turnaround to then having their time to do Oktoberfest and now to do Hot Wheels, I'm really excited to see now where they're headed and what's going to come next. Now that I guess they've they've found their mojo, they've got on top of it, and now they've got the opportunity to take the time to produce these great machines. I think the safety net is you know what you're going to get with Stern. Sure. You know the easy availability with distributorship, with getting parts, with service. It's peace of mind. I get it. Sure. If you're looking to buy a new game, I always suggest playing it first. I know when it comes to LEs, you got to put that order in sight unseen. You got to roll the dice there. Well, with all of Rick and Morty, you couldn't even play even the the basic. It was all pre-order before it sold out. I guess if you have an opportunity to play some of these games, give them a chance because that's the great thing. You know, God bless Gary Stern for keeping pinball alive during the dark days. And he did. But we are seeing some great competition and it really benefits us the pinball community, the collectors, the competition players, everyone that loves pinball, the barcade owners, give these other games a try. And, you know, don't just brush them off because it's not a theme or it's it's not the company you're used to. There's some fun pinball games. And, and you and I play a lot of different games and sure. uh, really proud of these companies. It's, it's just good to have choice, right? Yes. Yes, it is. So speaking of choice, if you had to choose, <laughs> you can see where this is going. If you had to choose between Metallica or Jurassic Park as being the better machine, what would you choose, Jeff? I would go to the Metallica fan base on (laughs) Facebook, on Instagram, and I would say, hey, I know you've never played the pinball machine, but this freaking dinosaur is trying to knock off your gods of heavy metal band here. You better do something about it and vote quickly. And they did. And they did. So it, it all happened in a very short space of time. We're talking about the, the Stern showdown, which we've talked about before. And it was. It was Jurassic Park versus Metallica. And I saw it when it... it I think there was probably about 2,000 votes in total. And Jurassic Park was winning. And I think it was winning at about 64% to 36%, which I thought that surprised me. Who'd you vote for? I voted for Metallica. So did I. And I didn't vote. It seemed like you voted later. When I voted, it was like 60-40 and it was for Jurassic Park. And I was I was kind of shocked, but yeah. um, not shocked that Jurassic's not a great game. No question about it. Just Metallica has been a great game for so long. Correct. And that blew me away. So what happens? So then, as you mentioned before, somebody posted a link to the poll on a Metallica fan page and said, vote for Metallica. And within, I think within an hour, there was an additional 4,000 votes all went to Metallica. And I've just seen the final result. There was 9,300 votes. 70% of those went to Metallica. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just go out on a limb here and say... At the time of this recording, they haven't finished the Stern showdown, but I'm going to put my money on, call me crazy, Metallica. Yeah, I think every week, every, every time it is now up, those same people are going to vote for Metallica. So, it, game over, guys. You've completely ruined this whole shindig. But, you know, that's what happens. You can sway a vote by getting public support just to vote for something. It happens. It happens in competitions. That's just part of the internet, I guess, Jeff. 
Are you suggesting, perhaps, that internet voting could be flawed? No, I'm not saying anything of that because we will get in trouble again. Even though it's just proven there on the Stern Showdown. Interesting. Nope, I'm avoiding it. I'm not talking about it. We'll get in trouble. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't either. But it really, you know what? Okay, case in point, there are other things on the internet. Are there? What? What other things on the internet? (laughs) Too long of a dramatic pause? (laughs) (laughs) The other things on the internet that you can vote for or you can write reviews for or this and that. And, And I'm not even talking pinball. I'm not talking pinball. I'm talking things like Google review. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. We had a plumber come to our house a couple years ago. Ridiculous charge that they gave us. They did F all. And the problem existed immediately after. I think we hired the person who fixed your Lord of the Rings game. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I understand. We called the company. They said, yeah, we can send somebody out. It'll be another couple hundred bucks. We're like, they didn't do anything. Like It's the same problem when they came. Anyway, we obviously didn't invite them back, but we did do a Google review and obviously it was negative. By the way, we also do Google reviews and Yelps and trip advisories for things that we love nine times out of 10, because those are the reviews that determine where we go or what services we use, especially in unknown territory, whether it's traveling, whether it's a restaurant, a service industry, whatever the case may be, we really rely on those reviews. And I think a lot of people must. We gave a poor review. A few months later, we were called by that same plumber service and asked to have that review removed and they would pay us the amount that we paid them. Okay. We said no. Yeah, fair enough. The money was already out of hand and it wasn't going to make or break us by any means. It was the principle. And it was interesting that that meant that much to them. And I thought, hmm, someone's going to read our review like they have and uh, maybe choose another company. And we might just save them the same hassle that we went through. Yeah. Every once in a while, I do get, there's these posts that come up on my Facebook page from these kind of social media commentary sites that you can go to. And there was this one that I I read recently, which was all about, I guess, bogus reviews and the owners of the restaurants doing a reply to them where, you know, someone said, oh, you know, the food was terrible, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, hmm, interesting that you say our steak was terrible considering we don't have steak on the menu. Now, that's interesting because, and I'm just using Google as an example, you can write to Google and say, that's a bogus review. We don't sell steak. Google will then investigate and then they will remove reviews that are definitely false in that sense if you make a claim. So I do know that. And the reason I know that is because in my work industry, which is radio broadcasting, and we have digital media and all that kind of stuff, we are being asked big time about reviews and following up on reviews and seeking reviews. And I I guess it's old school in me and it's time for this old dog to learn a new trick. It's really important because a kind of light went on for me and I'm like, shit, I do that. I, I use these reviews, but I never seek reviews. You know, perfect example. This Week in Pinball. Hello, Jeff. They did a um, promoter's database And it's really good. Like it has like 170 different podcasts, streams, pinball content, magazines, articles. Yeah, it's It's fascinating. You can sort it by alphabetical or you can sort it by reviews. And so when that came out, 
I saw a lot of my good, good friends in the pinball community say, hey, do a post. We would really appreciate it. And I was like, uh, and, I, and I've reviewed a few of them at their request, but I never asked once, whether it's this show, Final Round, whether it's Pinball Profile, I know you didn't for Head to Head, or Melbourne Silverball, your stream, but maybe we should because maybe it will help someone else find it. Good or bad, whether you like the show, I just, I've always had a, a difficult time doing that and it's really hard for me to train, but I don't know. How do you feel about it, Marty? Like it's, it, I, even coming out of my mouth right now, I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about it, but I just did this two week seminar about digital media and how important it is and how people find it. And I'm like, like, I don't even post this show anywhere. I thank God, you know, Zach Mendy does a great job behind the scenes at the pinball network. We put out the show, he puts it on this and that and everywhere. And it's great. He does a great marketing job for us in that sense. But I don't do it. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same. And and I was it was like that with um with head to head as well. It was put out a product, if you like it, great, but I'm not going to solicit responses. Hopefully that's enough. And it's the same, I guess, with this podcast. We I know this is gonna come as surprises to to you, Jeff, and to everybody. We obviously make nothing from this. It is lies. <laughs> yeah, well, except for you with your new Ferrari that you just bought out of all the proceeds from our sponsors. Sorry, I meant Porsche. Sorry, wrong brand. Um, no, no, I got both actually. <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's put it out there, let the internet take care of itself. And, and sort of just going back to what happened with the Stern Showdown with Metallic and Jurassic Park. That's what happened. It's an anomaly, but it's just for shits and giggles. Like it's Stern putting Stern versus Stern. There's nothing to win or nothing to gain from this. They've already sold the machines. So it's just a bit of fun. I mean, if you think, as I said, there was 9,000, what did I say, 9,300 votes. If you look at the previous battle, which was The Walking Dead versus Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings won that 61% to 39. I honestly thought that would have been closer. There was a total of 2,300 votes. So you actually got an additional 7,000 votes just from this next one. I like that. I think that's hilarious. And I think that is the internet and that's what the internet does. And I don't complain about it. I don't begrudge it. That's just the randomness of the internet. Sometimes things go viral for all the wrong reasons. Ah, boy, oh boy. You're right. You're right. And whether it's this podcast or any other podcast, any other podcast. Yeah, I hate admitting it. And I'll only do this once. And I'll deny it every time after that. You're right. We don't make money off this. (laughs) but we do this well you and i do this because we enjoy talking to each other and people are listening to our conversations and and our interviews and the people we talk to we enjoy that we like doing the the games that we're going to be doing but you know other people that do it as well are just trying to provide you entertainment they're not doing it for great riches or rewards and there are a lot of people that take this serious and stuff and you hear the terms pinball drama and stuff and it's tough for me because I know people that are having some great pinball fights, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I like both parties. And I just want them to get together. And there are... Fuck, it should be a Twippy Award. Best pinball drama fight. <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or best, best spillover into real life that actually affects somebody's life. I don't know. I'm just... I'm really... I know we're, we're sort of delving to this whole pinball drama thing, but just this whole... If you don't like somebody in the pinball community, then going to their employer to complain, it's just the wrong thing to do. I just think that there is a line that you can cross, and that is going outside of this media circus that we're a part of and trying to 
get somebody fired. Well, I guess trying to get somebody fired for something that they've done ages ago. I just, I am, I'm just, cancel culture just really grates on me. I'm just putting it out there. I think take it up with the person, get their response and be satisfied with the response and move on as you said. Yeah, I I am not a fan of cancel culture. I'm also a big fan of giving people second chances. I'm a huge fan of, guess what? Everybody makes mistakes. And every single person I've seen say, hey, you got to do this or not support this or not support this. They may be right, but be careful when you look in the mirror, Mm. you know, Mm because we all have fucked up and and hopefully we've learned from it. So anyway, this is this is the whole thing. We've learned our lesson. We're now completely different people. And we would hope that if something happens, people would give us some redemption. But, you know, it's it. That's just not the environment we're in at the moment. It's very black and white and very you've you've done this. Therefore, you must suffer. So I don't know, guys, just a bit more love for each other would be great. Thank you. There you go. Yes, uh, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, all this talk about livelihood and stuff. And if you ignore what I said just a few minutes ago about making money, it's all bullshit because we have sponsors and <laughs> they give us big, big bucks. Okay, Marty? So <laughs> They do. And free products. So This part is the truth, all right? Final round, heavily sponsored. We only do this for the money. Behind the scenes, we don't even like each other. I mean, let's just True. call it for what it is. It's just a paycheck. Yep, correct. It's just a job. So let's cash the check now with our sponsor of the week. Marty, is 2020 getting you down? Yes, it is. Well, good news. It's the final round 2021 calendar. But Jeff, we've still got six more months. Not anymore. 2020 is over. Straight to 2021. I know you wanted Christmas and I know you wanted to see the leaves fall. It's okay. It'll happen in 2021. Let's just get past this freaking year. I just wanted a pinball event of any kind. Any would have done in 2020. No, I'm going straight to 2021. If per open in January 2021, take me there right now. Ah, uh, it's going to be a great year. Papa 21, Pinberg will be back. And there's some other things that are great too in 2021. Like what? A freaking vaccine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I freaking hope so. Jeez. Okay, maybe some wishful thinking, but here's what I'm looking forward to in 2021. My first haircut in nine months. Coughing in public without fear. Yes, I'd like to not have to cough into my elbow, thank you. Or sneeze and have everybody stare at me. <laughs> that, that's really freaky. Well, wipe your boogers, Marty. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> it's the final round 2021 calendar. See you there. Our special guest this week is a former world champion. You can never take that title away. You will see his name on the banner when you go to Papa, and that's coming up in 2021. He is Andre Masenkoff, and he joins us now. Hey, Andre, how are you? All right. How are you doing, Jeff? How are you doing, Martin? <laughs> yeah, I'm really good, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's good to talk to somebody, and uh, you know, especially during shelter in place. So it's exciting talking to two people on in two different well, one on a different continent and one in a different country. So this is quite exotic for me. So I'm very pleased to be here with you guys today. It's really interesting for me as well because you know, you know, obviously you're a top player. So I get to see you play a lot on the streams. I briefly met you once at either Papa or, or Pinberg, one of them, but. I get to speak to you after just seeing you on my computer screen for such a long time. So thank you for coming on. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm a real guy. Glad to be here. Thanks for saying that. And I know about, you know, you and your podcast, too, but never actually talked to you. So that's nice besides the time we met. Andre, by the way, the last time I saw Andre, did you know that, Martin, you are talking to two of 10 different Pinball Profile World Tour winners? Andre, well, you knew I won one there in Australia, but Andre, I hadn't mentioned that before. Andre was the first ever winner, and it happened at Free Gold Watch on a Monday night. We had a bunch of people come out, and Andre took the title away from a former guest in uh, Andreas Peterson, who was there as well. Gosh, yeah, what a night. And that was nice to be, you know, part of that inaugural event. And you chose SF for your starting place. And it was a blast. It was so intense, though, because it was the flip friendly. So it was nonstop. And it was the longest flip friendly I played. And then making the finals after that was intense as well. Like by the end of the tournament, and I'm, we're in San Francisco, so it's not that hot. Um, and I guess it was like, uh, I think it was January or September. No, late September. September, yeah, and, and uh, my shirt was sweated through by the end, you know, and that's not a normal pinball thing to see or do, especially in San Francisco, California, if we go watch. How do you find the Flip Frenzy format? I like action. I like to play, so I appreciate it. It totally just keeps you going very quickly, and so, uh, you know, it works out well, and, you know, most of the time you play to win. Once in a while, you do need to make a decision. If it's someone you can't beat, you just give up the game. And maybe you can actually beat them, but you'd have to play for 20 minutes on the game and it'll slow you down. There's a little of that strategy, but for the most part, it's just play, 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 play. And that's what I love to do. I don't, I don't like breaks and I don't need breaks most of the time, even though it would have helped a little bit at free goal watch. It was a heck of a night there. The reason why I ask that is that there, a lot of top players don't necessarily like the flip frenzy format because it can sort of derail you sometimes but i think i guess the the cream usually does rise to the top anyway you know there is a certain way where you're moving so quickly it's hard to mentally set up for a game it's hard to switch from game to game especially if they're different eras and different fields and so in that way it's something of a challenge because the demand's so quick I think of it as challenging in the same way pinberg is it's just very demanding you play now you play this you play a lot um, and then along the way, you're facing some really tough players. So there is that side of it because you can't feel too prepared. You can never really get comfortable in that format. But, you know, that makes it more exciting for me and more challenging. And I always like a challenge. I remember that night very well. Uh, you schooled me on hoops, I recall. And uh, the main thing I remember about it was just Free Gold Watch was so spectacular. What a fun place. And like all arcades, we're hoping they can open up, they can be safe, they can have us back playing soon, but we have to get to that point. And uh, I know Free Gold Watch means a lot to you as well. Yeah, we're just so lucky to have it in our community here in San Francisco and the Bay Area, but just... For the global community, I mean, we've had so many people pass through from overseas or Canada, um, across the country, and uh, it is a special place. And if anything, uh, that might be the spot and all the people that I miss most. It was really odd when the shelter in place started. Um, pretty soon after, I just drove by Frigo Watch multiple times on my way home, like took a weird route home just to kind of remind myself how it felt to play. And how it felt to be there because, you know, I missed it so much. You brought up a good point. It is the people that I miss because we can play pinball anywhere if we're fortunate enough to have a machine or two or whatever at home or maybe a friend's place or on location. But it's that gathering of events. And that's, to me, what I found 
in this COVID-19 that I've missed the most about competitions? I thought it was the competition itself. It was really the people and getting to know a bunch of people. Here we are talking to, there's three of us, three different countries all across the world. And there are other people across the world listening to this podcast right now. It's that connection that I seem to really miss. Yeah, and it surprised me. I think I had that same experience. Um, I don't know. We we took it for granted. It was just a thing we did, and it was always there. And I happen to be in a place where there's this great community and great locations and great people. And so uh, you realize how precious that is when you don't have it. I guess for me, uh, I, I've gone out a couple times and rented out um, one place. It's like a kind of pinball bar restaurant, um, just all to myself all by myself a couple times. And of course I got the satisfaction playing and it meant a lot to me, but it was also really hollow in a different way. And even one of the times I streamed my session and was talking to people and uh, because the people weren't there, it just didn't feel right. As far as the competition too, competition's great. It really gets my juices pumping. Um, I, you know, I love to compete, but in the end I see I'm missing that less, even though, I mean, I certainly do miss it. Um, it's just this community that we have globally, locally, nationally. That's what makes it great. And playing is great. And, and I miss that too. Um, but that's like the bigger picture that I never stopped to think about until now when I realized, you know, what I miss so much. Well, we, we sort of, we've all had a bit of a forced break. Has there been a time in your pinball career where you have been a little bit fatigued by competitions? Not me, because I, I take a pretty light schedule, and I only go travel to the biggest of the big tournaments, or something regional. For example, Seattle. I've been to the Seattle show once. I've been to a Portland tournament once. And I've only been down to Indisc slash now the IFPA Open three times, despite it's being relatively close to me in San Francisco. I mean, I could drive down there in a the day. Um, so I don't get too fatigued. Um, but it's interesting you ask that. It does take me a lot of energy to play, and I really appreciate the breaks. I remember in 09, um, going through IFPA in London, and then in, coming into Papa a few weeks later. I was still kind of overwhelmed and, and tired and fatigued in a way, mentally and physically, from just a heavy outpouring of energy that went into EPC the week before IFPA, and then IFPA in London. And then, you know, I would say I wasn't at 100% when I got to Papa after that. Um, so that kicks in. I was, certainly wasn't tired of playing, but I didn't have the same level of energy because I throw my whole self into it. And, you know, to be honest, like after Pinberg or after Papa, I, I go through a week where I don't even want to see a pinball machine, which is a pretty rare state for me to be in. There is burnout for sure, no question. And you've been in some major tournaments. We talked about you being a world champion. You want to talk about a grind. That would be something like the major Papa tournament, which is coming back in 2021. In fact, next year will mark your 10th anniversary of winning Papa 14, Andre. Wow, 10 oh, years. Thanks for counting. I'm counting too. And I'm so excited to see Papa come back um, because, you know, it's such a storied tournament. I think uh, the IFPA Open followed a pretty similar format, but there's no Papa like Papa. And I don't know where it'll be and how it'll go down. I, I suspect they'll use some of the formats that they've used recently for Papa, but it, it's it's sad to think we haven't had one since 2007, and it's thrilling to think that we'll have one again in 2021. Um, again, I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but I'm you know it's giving me something to look forward to. You've been to Papa Marty, and you've played in the tournament. What was it like the first time you went there? Yeah, I guess it was interesting because I'd, I'd only been to Indisc before, which still remains my my favorite tournament because I do like 
the social aspect of it. Papa was was like that as well in that it felt more of a a festival. The tournament was going on, but you know it was very social as well. And I really liked the format. It wasn't using the card format. So this was Papa Twenty, so the the last Papa that they had, and and I liked the fact that you had multiple choices. You could do classics, or you could you know go into the main tournament or you could do split flipper or you know the seniors format for for jeff so well you can do it now too there kid nice try (laughs) (laughs) what about senior split flippers (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe you and you and i could do that next um that that's kind of what i liked about about papa was that the community feel that it had i mean it was in that that warehouse in Carnegie. I can't even remember the name. Carnegie, that's right, the town there where yeah. you have to walk into the town to, to get something to eat. It just had a lot of charm, and I don't think that's been replicated anywhere else. Yeah, I hope they pick a location that has that same sort of feel. And then just as far as the socialization and the good times and, and the vibe of Papa, the thing I see as distinctly different from Pinburg, which is the, a phenomenal event, is with Papa, it's like they only use 10% of the collection in the tournament, and it's not heavily scheduled. So you go and qualify or try to qualify when you want. You enter those events. Oh, classics, day two, I'll skip, but maybe I'll try day three. And then you can roam around and play games, hang out with people. It, it's on your time. Pinburg, you, you're just driven all day long to play, and you can pop out for little breaks. But my experience has been between rounds, you get together with the people you know, and you share very oftentimes those kind of bad beat stories um, about how you almost got that multi-ball or how you lost this or that, you know, and you come up and just ask, how many, how many points do you get? How many points do you get? I mean, that's totally changes the feel where I think the focus on competition is like high pressured competition and do it now like a flip frenzy, you know, whereas Papa, it's just, you got three full days before they even do the finals to just do what you want, explore the place, have fun, hang out. And try to qualify or not, or just enjoy the facility. Well, for me, it was April of 2016, so that would be Papa 19. I'm sitting in the queues, and on one side of me is Lyman Sheets, the other side of me is Bowen Karens. And they're talking to each other, and I'm just kind of in between. And I'm like, how cool is this? That was the turning point for me that made me really want to play in competitions and love this hobby even more. Like, I'm sitting here with two of the best players in the world, if not of all time. And I'm getting to, first of all, you know, have a chat with them, but get to play with them, not at their level, but maybe on a lucky day, or maybe if I get better, maybe someday. And that just blew me away. In fact, it was that moment right there, I decided to do Pinball Profile because I'm like, I have access to all these people. They're very, very social. And that was that Papa experience for me. I can't think of any other sport where you could just Mix it up with the best players in the world. Pinberg, day one, no doubt you'll play some of the best players in the world. Papa, if you've never played pinball before, you could just come out there playing A division and get in the queue between Bowen and Lyman if you want. Um, so there's the kind of equality and that openness that's there. And you might not be successful, but you can rub shoulders with these people, talk to them maybe, and compete against them the world's absolute best. You know, get up on a game and see some massive score you know, that Keith Allen got or Raymond Davidson got and try to take it down. (laughs) There's some wonderful opportunity there. There are not that many closed invitational events. Um, You know, the main limiter, I think, is some events just have a limited capacity. And so that's one of the beautiful things about the game. It's open to everybody. So when you won that championship, Papa 14 in 2011, 
such a young man there, Andre. Let's, uh, we, we don't have to bring up ages. It was a different system, in fact, back then. So the top 16 advanced to the playoffs. How it works now is if you're in the top 16, there's the bus driver. Sometimes they get to pick the games or pick the order. And usually if there are 16 people and they break into four groups of four, it goes the first, eighth, ninth, and 16th will be in one group. Back when you played, they went first, fifth, ninth, 13th, every four players. So it was a little bit different. But the big difference for me, which they haven't done in a while, and I want to get your take on this, is you're in that group of four. And nowadays, if you're in a group of four, the top two players in that group of four advance. That was not the case when you won it. And that might have helped me win it. It was the top point getters in a given round overall. So uh, it could add up to three people from one group possibly getting through and one person from another group of four getting through. And so there were multiple times where I thought I was out of it. Um, one year, I think it was 08, but I ended up in a three-way tie to get in the finals with Keith Ellen and Sean Grant on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that's because we had very low point totals, but sometimes those low, low point totals will actually get you in a tie break. Sometimes the high ones, well, I remember one year Kaylee and I got six points in a round and we were both eliminated. It wasn't enough just due to the way the points were distributed. So that was a very unusual thing in that you not only need to, well, if you beat your group, you should be through, but you not only need to beat players in your group, but your point totals got to be better than players in other groups. And uh, yeah, that was very different. I, I appreciate the fact that now it's all about how you did against the other three players you played against. And I guess the other big change with Papa, too, since Papa 14 was they've expanded the number of players who qualify beyond 16. And that's good because if you go to a Papa and you look at past Papas, you see so many names below the cut line of people who should be in there. The only problem is that you'll probably see 30 names of people who should be in there, but there are only 16 slots. And it's nice they expanded that. And of course, the famous Papa card entry system was changed in recent Papas. I'm not sure if it was the last two or just, I think it was just the last one that Escher won, um, where basically you just keep playing and hammering on your best game and whatever best game you get on Twilight Zone will be counted as your best game in your standings and your best single game on, uh, you know, Batman Dark Knight. It doesn't matter how many times you try it. The card system, which they used at IFPA, is so dangerous and mind-blowing and difficult. And no matter how well you play, you might actually suffer because your five games that you choose are seen as a whole. And so that was one of the odd demands of old Papa, was that you not only had to play well, but in a bunch of five games. And that's not always guaranteed. The year that I won Papa, after day one, I was not above the cut line. After day two, I was not above the cut line. And finally, at the beginning of day three, I was in 09 or 07. I qualified the morning of the finals. They used to have Sunday morning qualifying. And that's how hard it is to do for guys who played a lot of Papas, you know, and has some skills. I mean, that it's a very rough format because there are no guarantees. Hey, and Jeff, I, I know you love how Andre won the finals. Oh, let me recap, please. This is This is great. So going into the final game, First of all, you and Jim Belsito were in groups to get there and you kind of tag teamed and knocked out great players like Bowen and even advanced in a tiebreaker to get to the finals. So in the finals, it's yourself, it's Kaylee George, Jim Belsito, and Josh Sharp. And going into game three, Josh Sharp was leading 
Josh wins the game. He wins Papa. He wins the major. The game was F-14 Tomcat, a game in which might help Andre's style because you don't stop in that game. You keep going. You keep going. Well, Josh, all he had to do was win. I can tell you this. He beat Kaylee. He beat Jim Belsito. So that put the pressure on Andre and you tripled his score to take home the title. You always got to rub it in for those second places with Josh, don't you, Jeff? <laughs> you crushed his dreams, Andre. Like, I'm, I'm feeling sorry for him now. Uh, even though, yeah, I did enjoy beating him for that. Uh, yeah, that was that was an unforgettable game. It, even though it went by so quickly, it was like the blink of an eye. I mean, four great players in a world championship final took less than 10 minutes. No multi-ball, barely any play on some balls. You had 900,000, Josh had 300. That's how hard that game was. Yes. <laughs> Everyone talks about the F-14 Tomcat from Papa, and I've played that particular machine. It is as brutal as everyone says. Yeah, and, and I guess, I don't know why. It, it's the speed, and I think it's the outlanes. And also any game where you've got what you shoot at, in particular, to light the rescue, to light the kickback on the left, you have to shoot a dangerous, quote-unquote, death target right in the center, which has a high probability of shooting down the middle or shooting the ball off a slingshot out of control. And so, uh, yeah, they could set it up nicer than they ever did. And I I feel like in Pinburg, um, in the playoffs and finals, I, I feel like it was set up more kindly um, than it was at that Papa. And I think that's a little better for spectators versus seeing what they saw in my final in 2011, which would be plunge, slingshot, drain in multiple instances. And so, uh, yeah, it, it is a wicked game, but that's part of the fun of it. You know, the harder the game is, the more satisfying it is to beat it. So Jeff touched on something, and, and I want to bring this up because you wouldn't know this, but I have mentioned you on my stream many times and I'll, I'll explain why so there is something that that is very unique about you and very memorable about you and that is your play style because you are more of an on-the-fly player and and I think that's probably what you're known for and so therefore it's it's beautiful to watch the reason why I bring it up is because people often mention on stream that in, in chat that they're trying to learn the new way of pinball and I say to them, well, you've got to understand there's actually one of the world's top players that doesn't play this way. So it can be done if you want to stay on the fly. And and that's your style. I'm curious to know whether that was a conscious thing for you to stay like that and not conform to the new way, or it's just because that's you enjoy it that way. Oh, I see all the great benefits you can get from control play. And there's certain instances where I will rein my game in because there's no way to intelligently keep the ball in play in a chaotic sort of way. But for the most part, you know, it's my style. It's natural. But over time, I've added certain elements of control here and there. Um, you won't see me doing any long-term trapping in most multi-balls. And uh, also a lot of live shots where I could dead pass and then get it to the other flipper and hold the ball. Sometimes I just fire away. And so, uh, it's the less common choice of consistently performing players, but it does work. And uh, I guess one misconception is, you know, some of those great players. Uh, one time uh, I was watching Keith play Metallica on the old coat where you could actually get a coffin lock 
while you're in another multiball versus just light the lock to pick up after the multiball. And he was playing free form in the way I normally do and the way I never see him do. And he did it beautifully. I feel like he did it more beautifully than I did, just banging away at that captive ball over and over and over. And I think it would be fun to see some of these great players, you know, someone like Kaylee or Yorian, that have this immense control. And Keith, of course, just firing away because they'd actually do well at it because they have the aim and the skills. And I'm sure they'd be uncomfortable with it in the same way I'm uncomfortable with the control game. I mean, in the end, I stay with my game because it's me. It's worked for me. And because I feel so uncomfortable not flipping the flippers because flipping the flippers is control. Having a ball held on a flipper while I'm flipping around another ball is not control. And as far as beginner players, I think it's good for them to see my style because I think they can identify with it. Although they might not notice the dead passes and, you know, the drop catches, they're not as obviously skillful and intentional as especially the trapping play. It just appears like I, they say, oh, I can do that. The ball's coming to the flipper. I can hit that shot. He just knows what to hit, and he's hitting it. I just need to learn how to hit shots and maybe shake the machine some when the ball's coming down the sides. I would say it's a bit more than that, and I am somewhere in between. I, I can slow it down, but I do prefer to play on the fly. And, and here's the difference. What you've got to really be in tune with is the feel of the flippers. Because you know, people are sort of saying, if you don't trap away, trap the ball, you are a slave to the angle that it comes to you. I would say, and I'm, and I'm curious to know whether you agree with this, it's actually the subtlety of flipper pressing that gives you actually more control of where the ball's going to go. But it is it becomes very intuitive and you are at one with the flippers and the flipper feel. Would you agree? Yeah, I guess that's something I absolutely have to have to be successful because I'm going to walk up to a game and fire away, a game I might not have even warmed up on or played on in an earlier round. And so that adjustment becomes very critical. Also, on top of that, paying a, a lot of attention to players playing the same game ahead of me and seeing what position on the flipper a certain shot hits. Um, but there's so many other factors. Balls coming in at a certain angle and a certain speed, or even rolling down the in-lane. You know, the, the angle and the speed drastically change where you're going to flip that flipper. And I think I'm very quick to make an adjustment because I have to. <laughs> the way I play, and I think I developed that skill through all those years of playing this kind of wild and crazy way. And it's immensely satisfying. I mean, people always say, you're so fun to watch. And I say, well, do you know what? It's so fun to play that way. Mm, agreed. Andre, you've been in the top 50 players in the world for a long, long time, and your style of play has actually inspired others. If you look at Alexander Kazmarchuk, and I know you and I have played against him at the IFPA World Championships and other places too, he is somebody who I would say idolizes your style of play because he does the exact same thing. We saw it at Chicago Expo for the flip-out tournament uh, in the finals against Escher. He just loves that go, go, go play. He doesn't want to wait for whatever reason, but it's like Martin says, it's knowing the flippers. And I like that you just said to people listening, we're maybe playing for the first time. It's an easier way to teach new players because new players never, ever, ever trap up. They don't know to trap up. It might come later. They don't know to even dead bounce. You know, if the ball's coming, they're flipping. And I think not flipping probably feels like the most unnatural thing to a beginner player. So, you know, a flow style, a chaotic style. 
is just going to feel more natural to anyone. You know, the hard part is just getting the accuracy and the timing and plus certain moves, for example, just ways to keep the ball from draining. And there's a lot to it. But, you know, the more you play, the more you flip, the more diversity of games you play and uh, the more conditions you play under, the easier it gets. And and that becomes I don't know if, if someone's like me and I don't know if Alexander that way, too. When you play that way, it's part of the fun and the challenge saying. I know the rules of this game. I want to know how it flips. I want to know where that shot is and that shot is. And if if I find them, I'm golden. And, you know, it's a beautiful kind of process of discovery, not just playing the game, but figuring the game out. I would also argue, as a spectator, it is a lot more fun to watch. And, and I was there, I think you were playing, I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy that you totally blew up, might have been at, um, at Pemberg. And it just gets the wow moments from the audience that are literally watching going, how can you do that? How can you make that shot on the fly? Everybody else would require to trap up. So it actually is, I think, more enjoyable for a viewer to watch that style. I really appreciate all your compliments, Martin. And I feel the same way if I'm watching a player like Daniele when he's playing a real live game. He's also able to control. you know. And like Alexander, first off, these kinds of players are rare who are successful this way. And secondly, I feel that same thrill when I see people fire, fire, fire and hit these shots effectively, quickly. It's a thrill for me. I'm, I'm equally impressed by those folks who use control because I have that sense of I could and would never do that. And there's this patience and then there's this whole kind of skill of, you know, when you, uh, you know, got some balls trapped and then you've got a ball in danger. Do you release the trap or not? Or breaking apart a two-ball trap and, and getting one flip ball to the other flipper. Skills, you know, could be worth learning for me and practical and helpful. And I respect a lot. So in a way, I wouldn't call it thrilling, but I have just this tremendous amazement for players who use that kind of control to that level. Are you somebody that people can approach and ask for tips and, you know, you can kind of adapt to whatever their style is, or do you have to kind of say, well, this is what I do. What Are you able to give advice to some people? Because I know when I was at Free Gold Watch, there was a person there in Jessica Jordan Thompson, who was extremely delightful, just loved pinball, was a good player too, kicked my butt on Ironman. Didn't forget it, Jessica. And I just remember that, you know, she, she was absorbing a lot, even in that competition too. So what is it like for people like Jessica, new to pinball or newer to pinball, getting into competitions and trying to make themselves better or at least just enjoy the competitions? I mean, step one is you just got to love playing. If you love playing, you're going to play more. Every minute of quote-unquote practice is having fun. And I think Jessica's a good example of that. She was a gamer since she was a child. I was too. We both grew up in San Francisco. We met, we had never met each other, but uh, working at a preschool in 2006. And we started talking back to our gaming history and found out across the street from Free Gold Watch, it's now a record store, was a place called Park Pole. And we would go there as children and play the pinballs and the video games when they came out and go bowling pretty regularly. And I suspect I might have passed her, you know, a time or two there, although we never met. So that interest in her case was always there as a player. And so when I introduced her to League, what happened is she just started playing more and more and more. And as far as instruction, I don't think I gave her much at all. Um, I just kept encouraging her to play and here and there and maybe gave her a few strategic secrets that are critical and helpful. And, and on her own, she just became 
much better at flipper skills. And how did she get there? By having fun playing, by having the best time <laughs> you could have on a Wednesday night by being at the SFPD, San Francisco Pinball Department League. I mean, I don't know. Her face always shows it. She has a great time. She loses. She has a great time. She wins. She might have a slightly worse time because she might feel a little guilty about you know, taken away from other people's good time. She's that kind of person. And actually, she was the very first winner of our league's spirit award. Yes. Um, you know, someone who embodies that kind of positive spirit that that and it, it is it, it sounded like a very unanimous sort of election there. So I I think if you imagine a new player, I don't see them getting better if they don't love the game. I don't you know, they're going to want to keep coming back and maybe they come back like Jessica, not just because they love the game, because there's a social reason. Um, cause she has such a great time and a lot of people do, but I think they've got to have a reason to play and that drive to play. Cause in the end, any skill, any learning, it's going to come from time. And Martin, that feel thing you're talking about, of course, it's going to come from a lot of time on a lot of machines and a variety of machines. And so, uh, you know, the trick is with the beginner, if somehow you can kick in some satisfaction, kick them into that love. Sometimes I'll approach someone. Um, and I, I don't know, one of the last times a free goal watch months ago, um, I just saw someone playing and, and, and every time on Funhouse, the ball would kick out of the right scoop to the right flipper very quickly. And instinctively, every time she hit it directly in the mirror, just automatically. And that's some pretty exact timing that requires someone to do it. When the ball was done, I just told her how phenomenal it was to watch her do that. And I just want to kind of feed that satisfaction and say, that was a great thing you did and maybe reinforce like, isn't this fun? Um, and just encourage that play. And then I've, you know, I'll approach beginners. Uh, I tend to do it a lot at free go watch and just say, Hey, are there any games that you want to learn about or what kind of games do you like? Or if they're playing guardians of the galaxy, I say, start with Quill's quest. You get two balls right off the bat. And sometimes it's most of the time it's just little things, but I like to give them that little nudge, that push and also show them people in the community you know, want to encourage them to have a good time. Although I'm a very, very serious pinball player. And I think that might intimidate <laughs> I've people, that. serious players. And we're so players who are good or bad players banging on glass and yelling and things that can scare people off. And I'm serious about what I do. I'm also very serious about encouraging people to play, um, especially children, you know, because uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the future. And uh, I, they're not exposed to pinball. Um more often than not, and I want to give them a chance to feel good about it and, and say, wow, this is a special and very different thing that I'd like to continue doing. Yeah, Marty, he's very good at uh, giving advice, too. I got a great lesson on um, how to play hoops after I played him in hoops. <laughs> <laughs> it was very kind of you. Coaching is not allowed, so yeah, I was just following the rules, of course. Right, and fine. I got a good lesson from you on Black Knight. You got me on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Hmm. I'm surprised you didn't mention that, Jeff. I'm modest, Marty. If there's something, if there's <laughs> oh. one adjective to describe me, it's definitely modesty. Is it though? <laughs> Full of shit. Modest, yeah. <laughs> so, Andre, what then would be your favorite machines to play on? And is it because they suit your style of play? Yeah, for sure. Um, the top of my list has got to be Demolition Man. Because it's the yeah, flow, sure. shot, sure. to shot, to shot, to shot. And and they reward you. I mean, Black Knight, if you're hitting the right shots, most of them will actually throw the ball into peril. But in Demolition Man, you can just endlessly hit shot to shot, and there's the smoothness of the ramps. 
and the good soundtrack and, you know, the good call outs and everything so beautifully timed. And so, you know, that's number one and up near the top of my list would be a less flowy game, but an extraordinary one and a challenging one is Twilight Zone. There's just so much going on there. And uh, that's one where you do have to slow it down a little bit, you know, take a kick out, out of the slot machine, let it bounce off the right flipper to the left, you know, and hit the piano, you know, do the same thing, take the kick out, bounce it from right to left, pass it from left to right, shoot the left ramp, shoot the spiral. And it's a little more deliberate and uh, there's less kind of frenetic action in it, except in the multi-balls, which are fun, particularly the Powerball Mania. Um, so that's another one in ACDC, another one with that exceptional flow, great call outs, great sounds, you know, great music, of course. And, uh, you know, so the, I would have to say those are my top three, just flowy games, um, ones that I don't know. I, it's just it's just a feeling. Maybe smooth ramps are a lot of fun to me, too. Um, that's one thing I appreciate about the newest Elvira game. I don't know. I just like the way that left ramp flies, you know. Um, some, so many times it's just about how a game makes you feel and it might be as simple as the way a ball mechanically travels around a shot. And that also can make you hate certain games because they don't have that flow, like say champion pub, you know, it's just too much stop and go. You did mention earlier that you love seeing kids play pinball. Well, that kind of ties into what you do for a living, working at a children's hospital too. I know project pinball has been so meaningful in so many different cities in North America and your hospital included too with a a Star Trek machine there. When you see the kids play pinball at the hospital, describe what's going on. Sadly, I've only seen them play twice and and there's a very good reason for that. The children's spaces, including our schoolroom and all the spaces around the hospital, try to minimize the number of adults in the room to make it more their spaces. And in that case, there were a couple times I had private sessions, you know, with very interested and deserving young men who were really into pinball and, and wanted to learn. And those are the only times I actually saw students play. And the rest of the time, the room where it's in is just down the hall from our schoolroom where I teach. And I'm always listening <laughs> and just listening if someone's playing. And I'm always asking, are they still playing? Oh, yeah, they're playing. And so-and-so got this high score. And uh, recently, a few months back, um, you know, I just did a very short in-service to the entire department. Part of their responsibility is ready that room on how basically they can enhance students' enjoyment on Star Trek, like how you pick a mission and fire at that ship in the center and you get the multi-ball. When do you press that center button and what does it do? Pretty straightforward things and also some little things about just turning it on, adjusting the volume and so on. And so uh, I haven't been too involved with the kids themselves, but of course, you know, I initially connected Project Pinball with the hospital. And I was so pleased that they brought it in because, of course, we know the value of pinball and we can all imagine, you know, for a child who, you know, might not even be feeling that great, they can come to a place and just press those two buttons on the side of the game and you know, have a great time, you know, and go through the whole Star Trek story and those shots of that ship that goes up and down when you hit the target underneath it. And so, uh, you know, it, it's definitely worked out well in that, you know, it gets played. And I'm always happy to hear the that flipping as I'm walking by. Andre, thanks very much for coming on Final Round today. I hope to see you soon. hope we're all going to be safe and, and getting to flip again. I know if Papa... 21 happens, I know you'll be there because you got to have all the ex-champions there. 
to try to get back up and see your name on the banner once again. That's such a big thrill for sure. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a 10th anniversary victory party for Papa <laughs> 21. You know, it wouldn't be a bad time to do it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see everyone when the time comes, when it's right, when it's safe. And uh, I don't know, until then, I appreciate you guys just, you know, keeping the discussions going, bringing in new players, educating old players and uh, talking to increasingly old players like me. <laughs> I like your 10th anniversary idea too. We can have a celebration, kind of a almost like a, a ceremony again where we award past winners and Josh can serve up your championship for you like he did back 10 years ago. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Um, um, let's do that, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you, Marty, too. Thanks very much. Thanks, Andre. It's been fun, guys, talking. Thanks, Andre. Be safe. Take care, gentlemen. Great to have Andre on the program and uh, hope you learned a little something about competition pinball and really how it's for everyone too. But we described what happened at Papa 14 and I've seen him on the big stage, obviously for the finals of Pinburg too. So he knows what it's like to get to the playoffs. But for you, for me, for people listening, that first time you think you're going to get in the playoffs or you're right on the cusp, that's what really becomes exciting with competition pinball. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. We, we've talked about the different formats like the Papa Card format and Pump and Dumps, you know, best game formats. What's really interesting is how mentally prepared you need to be going one format to another. The example I'll give is Papa, when I went to Papa 20, and it's a best game format, which is pretty relaxed. You can take your time. You've just got to buy new entries. And it's a very different proposition. You're not necessarily competing against somebody. You kind of are, but you're really just wanting to get the highest score. So you are going for wizard modes. You are going for the ultimate stack because if you don't get it, you can just put another entry in. But then going into the finals, it is a different proposition. And I don't know whether people are mentally prepared to go from one format to another, particularly in one particular tournament. Yeah, that's a good point you brought up. Before we get to the playoffs, yeah, you're right. If you're in a pump and dump tournament, the good players, you know, you play a game, you find the shots. And I would watch people in a pump and dump play Guardians of the Galaxy. And the first thing they would pick would be quills, which normally you shouldn't do. But the reason they're doing that is to find the shots. And then when they're ready for their real game, they'll go a different proper avenue. But now they found the shots. They know what the tilt bob's like. And those good players shine usually after the third or fourth game and will try to do super stacks like you had mentioned. It's different in what Andre had to do because back at the time, I'm not sure if it was five or six or seven games on a ticket. I know it was more than four and I can't remember. I forgot to ask. You have to have a good score on each one of those. So imagine your first game is great. Your second game sucks. It's terrible. Okay, that means your next few games have to be great. What do you do? Do you wait in line? Do you try to blow up that third or fourth game or do you start over? And that's the dilemma of the pop a ticket versus a pump and dump. But even even in a different scenario, let's say you've had four great games. How much pressure do you feel going into your fifth game? And will you play the same that you've always done? Or will you be really conservative because you just need a decent game? You don't need to blow it up. But you don't want to ruin that ticket by having an absolute stinker of a final game. It's a real mindfuck. A lot of people don't have that situation where their first four of five games are great. Usually there's a stinker in there and then you sure. blow up the fifth game. But you're right. You know, I think that's when you put on the, the safety harness, if you will. You, you just play a decent base score. You know, you don't worry about stacks. You know, uh, you don't worry about 
risk versus reward. You really just want to put up some kind of base that will that will play. And a lot of times you'll see players look at, okay, these scores, when you look at the software, especially never drained software, okay, that is the score I need. If you're playing something like Medieval Madness, okay, uh, 15 million gives me a good base. Yeah, the big scores are way up there, but 15 million, that's not bad. Okay, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to go castles to get that because a few of those, boom, there you go. A few gate hits. I don't have to do the risky ramp shots or anything like that. That's what you see in those kind of pop a ticket situations. But let's just get all past that and talk about when you get to the playoffs, because a couple of things happen. I've been in a situation where I have been the top qualifier, which means driving the bus, as they say. Mm -hmm. And they say that because usually the top seed gets to pick the games or the order that they want when they go in the playoffs. And other times I've just squeaked in, just made it in. You know, you're looking at the clock. I'm like, oh, how many more entries are going to go in? And then the final game stops and boom, you made it. You're the last person in. I will tell you this, I like having the buys, if there are buys of driving the bus, but my success rate when I just squeak in is way higher because the pressure is off. Everything is gravy. Correct. Absolutely agreed. And I'm the same. If I have to choose the bus, I feel additional pressure of having to do well if I pick a machine. I also feel it's a little bit weird to defer to let somebody else the machine and I wonder if I should have picked the machine and so really what I'm trying to do in that scenario is I think I would prefer to pick a machine so somebody else doesn't pick a machine that I don't play well on if that makes sense well there are some tournaments where you've got a bank of games and you can't pick the same machine twice so that you'll see a lot of those defers and the defer means okay game one I'll go fourth and see what I have to win because in these four player group playoffs Usually, the majority of times, it's four, two, one, zero scoring. If you come first in that game, you get four points. Second gets two, third gets one, and the last person gets zero. And then the next game, depending on the format of the tournament, sometimes the person in last place gets to pick order first. Usually, you don't see that. Usually, it goes by you know where you qualified. So that bus driver then would have the choice of, okay, I had a good game. I got four points. I'll defer again. You know, I want to save my good games for future rounds. But if they had a bad game, they've got that in their back pocket. Go, okay, I need, I need my go-to game now. I've got to make this count. Mm. And they'll pull that out. But, and then there's, but then there's also the dilemma of how far do I expect to go through? Like, have I really got enough wins coming to be able to hold on to that great game for a later round? Surely you would want to get your good games as soon as you can so you've got a better chance of getting through to those last rounds. That's just, that, what I'm saying is that these are the mental decisions that you've got to make when you get to the finals. But let me tell you the best piece of advice I can give you. Don't think about that shit. Just don't, <laughs> just don't, don't think about it. Because the more you think about it, the more it puts pressure on you, the more it stresses you out, and the less likely you're going to play your very best. So just do what you're going to do and just go, fuck it. I'm just going to have a good time and not stress about making a good or bad decision. There you go. There's good time. Oh, you can do that at tournaments? I know. Oh. And, but the, the problem is, so the last time that I really, that situation happened to me and I still think about it was, again, Papa 20 when you and I met and I was driving the bus and there was this dilemma. I, 
someone had commented to me that was following my progress saying said that I was I was playing really well on the old games. So I thought, okay, I'll pick the old games. And then I bombed out my first game. And then I started second guessing myself, thinking, what do I do? And then I, I thought, oh, well, I'll try something different. And I picked this other machine and I bombed on it again. And it just, it made it even harder for me because I'm like, well, I picked these old games. I bombed on it. I picked a modern game. I've now bombed on it. I'm, I'm just picking shit games. And it just totally bummed me out because I was overthinking it. Do you know the other added pinball playoff pressure that I try to avoid now? And it's a hard lesson learned, but I mean, it's years ago. I never under or overestimate the players I'm playing. Ever. Because, you know, you'd look at maybe who you had in your group and you'd go, oh shit. I mean, like, I I don't have a chance. That's defeatist. And you still got to get through it. And again, when the pressure's off, maybe you do better. Conversely, oh, look at all these people. I don't know any of these people. Piece of cake. Wait a second. They just got to the playoffs. They might not be well-traveled. They might not do the tournament circuit like others, but they might be pretty darn good in their own area and you're about to be introduced to them. Yep. I I don't know how many times I've put up an absolute cracker score on the game and people have come up and gone, oh, you're as as good as through. And I have to say to these people, do not underestimate who I'm playing against because if I can do that score anybody else can do that score Uh, I'm hoping we get some pinball pressure once again with playoffs but you know what I have to tell you I did have a little bit of competition did you I don't know if you've done it yet I've done a few ICR challenges I have not yet how'd you go well I wanted to see how it works from a software situation And I know it sounds like a, maybe a pretty shitty thing to do, but Mm. we do it every day anyway. So I asked my son, Carson. (laughs) Okay. You laugh. The last time we played in a tournament, he was second. I was third. The kid can play. Okay. And the last time we had a best of three match on ACDC, he also beat me there. So, okay. But now I said, let's do it ICR. I let him pick the game. We picked fishtails. I was just on. He just had a rough day. It worked out in my benefit. So, okay, now I see how this works. And the reason I wanted to see how it works is because I was challenged. I mentioned it last week. So, Nick Greenan, who at one time was leading this thing, and he is a guy who was second in Ontario this year to Adam Becker. Great player. Young guy. We both have World Cup soccer, and so we played it. But we streamed each other playing it. So, I had my iPad and uh, Carson was holding it up so he could watch my gameplay. I don't know how he did it, but I think he propped it up and I could watch his gameplay and we just kind of took turns. So I would play a ball, he would play a ball. It was really neat. And we both had the same kind of setup, extra balls off and all that kind of good stuff. Tilts were tight and it was a lot of fun. So how is entering the scores on, on the site? How do you do it? It's not scores. You basically, you can challenge somebody on the match play website. IFPA matches, I think it says. Put in a person, they get sent an email or something. Obviously, they have to be in the system. I think that's how it works. And then it sets it up. How many games do you want to play? One, three, five, or seven. Might even be nine, too. We decided on three. And then it shows this little graph, and then you click who won game one, who won game two, who won game three. That easy. And again, if you remember when Josh was on the program, it doesn't even have to be the same game. You have Steve Ritchie's Star Trek. I have DC. That's speculation. What? Of course I've got it. I talk about it all the time, Jeff. <laughs> I have ACDC. The similar thing in those games, the left ramp. Yeah, okay. Is there not a way we could say, okay, Marty, first person hit the left ramp six times in a row? 
okay. wins the game. And we both start at the same time. And we both watch each other doing it. Why okay. not? Yeah, okay. We could, we could do it. Yeah, we could do that. Your ramp's a little wider. I'm not going to do it because I think you've got a way no, advantage. <laughs> I would. It is so much easier to repeat, re- repeatedly backhand the left ramp on Star Trek than it is on ACDC. ACDC is pretty easy. No, it is, but not all the time. Like just about every Star Trek, it's quite easy to backhand the left ramp. How many times have you done it in a row? I've not counted. Like more than ten? I've not counted. But probably it would be it would be that. If, I mean, my my record for warp ramps on Star Trek is over twelve or thirteen. So I reckon it would be more on that left ramp. But there's just no reason to hit it that many times. So I've not really probably tried nor counted. I haven't seen anybody, and write to us at finalroundpinball at gmail.com if you've done an ICR challenge or thought of an idea where this game can go against this game, even though they're different games, but the challenge would be whatever it may be. It could be done. I mean, I'm waiting to see someone do Kiss and Aerosmith and find, oh, I don't know, there might be some similarities there, you know? Yeah. Well, again, I'm thinking with, with Star Trek, that middle shot versus Attack from Mars. You know, you've got to destroy the vengeance on Star Trek. You've got to destroy one of the UFOs on uh, Attack from Mars. No way. Attack from Mars way easier. No, it's not. Oh, for sure. I would compare... What? Atta- that center shot of death. Where? On Attack from Mars? Attack from Mars, yeah. You're, no way. Super skill shot, one shot off the visor, it drops down, bang, 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 done. Mm, maybe. You have a tighter shot on Star Trek. I think that's way harder. I would compare Spider-Man... And Attack from Mars, same kind of visor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the number of shots it takes to kill Sandman versus that first saucer. If there was a setting to change it to the same thing, I would say that's comparable. Mm, Yeah, okay. But I I guess what we're trying to do and what you're trying to say is how can you make different machines that have got something similar become fair to compare? I'll tell you what you can do with your Star Trek game and somebody with a Spider-Man game. And I know Eric's got one who you see on Melbourne Silverball. First person to hit three away teams. Same shot. Three away teams under the upper right flipper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he also has a Star Trek, so it might be easy for us to just play on a Star Trek together. I'm just saying Fine. that would be easier. <laughs> so. You got to get into it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. I, I really, it's just not been on my radar, which is kind of a weird thing, but okay. I might give it a go. That'll be my challenge for this fortnight is to have an ICR. I would hope so. I know you're really looking forward to our sponsor of the week in the 2021 calendar. I know it's been front and prominent there. I mean, we've got stacks and stacks of these things. It's beautiful, by the way. Yeah. So the next time we talk, Marty, you don't even have to wait two weeks to hear us. Really? We're going to be on next week on Friday. Why Friday? Because what would have been happening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania next week on Friday? Uh, Pinburg. And replay effects. Woe is me. It's not happening. Or is it? It's happening right here on the final round Pinberg Challenge. It's going to be a lot of fun. A great trivia challenge with some wonderful people. Some big surprises as well. And someone will become the Pinberg Challenge champ here on final round. And win themselves a beautiful trophy from Ulick's store. So uh, we've got an A division winner and a B division winner. Who will it be? You'll have to find out. <laughs> you won't believe what happens next. Click here. <laughs> we actually record it in a couple of days. Everyone is signing an NDA saying they're not allowed to reveal whether they won or not. It's kind of like when you go on Price is Right and it doesn't air for three months. Yes. Yep. 
Pinberg Challenge, it's up next. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we look forward to it. Thanks again for Andre Mastenkoff for joining us here on Episode 11, and thank you for listening here on the Pinball Network. Where can people find us? Where can they reach us? They can go to our Facebook page. They can also check us out on Instagram, on Twitter, if you want to. Is that set up? It is set up, yeah. So you can check us. We've not posted a single thing, but it, it is there just so- I'm not even on it. What is it called? Final Round Pin. You don't even know. I think if you search Final Round Pinball, you will find us. So be the first to start up a conversation and we might converse back. Who knows? You can also email us at finalroundpinball at gmail.com. And don't forget to check me out on Melbourne Silverball. When do you stream, Marty? Streaming at the moment. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. So, And we've also got another streaming partner joining the channel as well. So, eh, you know, we may even add another night to that. The Melbourne Silverball Network. <laughs> it really is. It's great. I enjoy it a lot. And you can catch Pinball Profile as well, too. Thanks very much for listening. My name is Jeff Teolos. And I'm Martin Robbins. Thanks, everyone.